So about five years ago, John Roberts, the uh, Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, he gave this talk, and it was, uh, it was a commencement address, a graduation speech, and it was uh, kind of made news. It was uh, his kids, his son's graduation from middle, middle school, so it was ninth grader. And uh, he gave this very brief speech, but it was real different, not your typical commencement address. And uh, its message kind of caught people's attention. And this is what he said, or, or most of what he said. Now, most commencement speakers will typically wish you all good luck and extend good wishes to you. But I won't, and I'll tell you why I won't. From time to time in the years to come, I hope you will be treated unfairly so that you will come to know the value of justice. I hope that you'll suffer betrayal because that'll teach you the importance of loyalty. Sorry to say, but I hope you will be lonely from time to time so that you don't, make, that you don't take friends for granted. I wish you bad luck again from time to time so that you will be conscious of the role of chance in life. And you'll understand that your success isn't completely deserved and that the failure of others isn't completely deserved either. And when you lose, as you will from time to time, I hope every now and then your opponent will gloat over your failure. It's a way for you to understand the importance of sportsmanship. I hope you'll be ignored so you know the importance of listening to others. And I hope you'll have just enough pain to learn compassion. Whether I wish these things or not, it doesn't really matter because they're going to happen, because that's life. And whether you benefit from them or not will depend on your ability to see the message in the misfortune. Anyway, he goes on to talk a little bit more, a couple of other just suggestions kind of live like a good life. But that's the bulk of it. That's like 80% of the speech. You may have heard that. I've, I've referenced it once or twice. But that message is kind of interesting. Like struggle, hurt, disappointment. I hope you all have a little bit of that, says the Chief Justice to these kids. Like, I hope you find some struggle in life. Like, you're gonna. But his point is, like, it actually won't be such a bad thing. In the moment, yeah, it stinks. It's tough. But it's coming your way. So what do you do with it when it shows up? Are you gonna let it make you be, be a better person? Or are you gonna let it crush you? Crosses. I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't mention crosses, but that's sort of what he's talking about and their inevi inevitability. There's no getting around them. In fact, they're, they're redemptive. Tough times can make us better. Tough times can bring us to a better place. And that's why he was saying, like, when those things happen, let them transform you into a better person. You know, and I think this whole cross thing, you know, theologically and spiritually and, you know, religiously, yeah, we're all like, uh, okay, yeah, like that's, 
That's church stuff. That's Jesus stuff. No, yeah, I I believe that. You know what, though? When When the rubber meets the road, I'm not so sure we do. Or I'm not so sure more and more our culture is buying it. I think we're forgetting it. This whole cross thing. And the fact that they're actually, crosses can be good for us. I think people aren't even really believing it anymore. You know, just look around. I mean, not here in this great moment, but most churches on most Sundays, they're not crowded. We all know people more and more who have kind of just checked out. They're not really practicing their faith. They're not really praying a whole lot. Well, you know what happens, I think, when that happens? We forget stuff like Good Friday. Good Fridays are real. Like, they're, they're a part of life. Hopefully we don't have a lot of them, but we all get them. And sometimes they're, like, unspeakably difficult. But if, I'm kind of, if I've gotten away from God and my faith and church, then I begin to forget about the likes of Good Friday. All I remember is Easter Sunday. I just want things to always be good. And kind of, as much as I can, we're just going to make things good all the time, no matter what. And I think when we do that, we're denying realities to life. When we shield people from pain at all cost, no matter what, like that's not always a good thing. I'm not saying let the people you love just walk around getting hurt. But I am saying there are times in life when you just got to get hurt. And as much as every part of you wants to jump in front of the bullet, we shouldn't. We're not serving the people we love when we always shield them from the cross. You know, I was talking to a teacher, a friend of mine, uh, just the other night. She's a great teacher. Uh, I've been hearing about her from different people. She's got a great rep. Middle school teacher. Her graduates go on to high school and they come back and they're always talking about how well prepared they were for the math that they're now taking because of this way she taught them. And she just retired. And I asked her about um, yesterday and today. I said, she's like, she'd been working for 25 years. I said, have things changed from 25 years ago to today? And before I finished the question, she was like, yes, yes, they have changed in crazy ways. And then started to talk about the ways or the changes. And she said it's all about <laughs> parents. He said parents have fundamentally changed in the last 25 years. The way they relate to their kids, the way they relate to teachers, and it kind of forced her to retire. She's kind of old school in a great way. And she was like, she never compromised. She was like, I'm not, I'm not backing down when I'm right. I don't care what this parent says or however they kind of threaten. I'm like, I'm just, I'm not doing it. But she got kind of tired of that. And she said, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of done with the fight. I'm not going to compromise, but you know what? I don't, I don't need the headaches anymore. I, mean, I don't know, maybe we would have had her for a few more years. And I think of the kids that will miss out on that because she got tired of the fight, and I don't blame her. You know, there's a book 
I got about a year ago. Um, I've kind of read parts of it. It was uh, the title I thought was pretty interesting. It's a bestseller. It's called The Gift of Failure. The Gift of Failure. How the best parents, the subtitle, how the best parents learn to let go so that their children can succeed. It's written by a, a teacher and also a mother. And the whole book talks about what my teacher friend was complaining about. And she describes it in a thousand directions. But it's all kind of the same point. Parents just shielding their kids from difficulty no matter what. At any cost. And the damage that does. This is what she says. Thirteen years ago when I was a relatively new teacher, I had to call a student's mother to inform her that I'd be uh, her kid got caught plagiarizing for a paper. So she told the mother that the kid would be receiving a zero for the, for the project. This is the mother. You can't do that. She didn't do anything wrong. The mother informed me, enraged. But she did. I was able to find entire paragraphs lifted off of websites. No. I mean, she didn't do it. I did it. I wrote the paper. I don't remember what I said in response, but I'm fairly confident I had to take a moment to digest what I had just heard. In the end, my student received zero, and I made sure she rewrote the paper herself. While I'm not sure what the mother gained from the experience, the daughter, I know, gained an understanding consequences. The stories teachers exchange these days reveal a whole new level of overprotectiveness. Parents who raise their children in a state of helplessness and powerlessness. Kids who are destined to an anxious adulthood, lacking the emotional resources they'll need to cope with inevitable failure. She talks in this book about this whole bunch of studies, but this one in particular was done in some university in Australia. And they surveyed teachers and guidance counselors and psych uh, psychologists. They're all saying the same thing. Example after example of this sort of overprotective craziness and the effects of it on them as teachers, on the kids, on the parents. Like, none of it's good. It's all bad. And it's epidemic. Ten-year-olds being treated like they're five. Fifteen-year-olds being treated like they're ten. Moms racing up to school with every forgotten assignment or lunch, or gym uniform, always to the rescue. Like there's never accountability. Ridiculous, like outrageous expectations parents have now of teachers that they didn't a quarter of a century ago, or a half a century ago even more so. Teachers were respected. They were seen as an authority figure. 
it wasn't like, hey, you work for me. It was like, no, you're the teacher. I respect you. And you get the benefit of the doubt. Not my 14-year-old. And it's completely, utterly flipped. The book talks about the, the, the term they keep using is uh, infantilizing. We're treating kids like they're much younger than they are. And we're never teaching them responsibility or consequences. Keep them happy no matter what. Take the pain away always. No crosses. We want to raise our kids in a crossless reality. Well, that's fantasy world, isn't it? Because crosses are not fantasy. Crosses are part of life. I'm not saying we go looking for them. I'm just saying we can't dodge them. So are we ready when they blast us in the face? Well, we're not going to be if I pick up the pieces of the mess my kid makes all the time. I cover for him or her no matter what. And hey, I, you know, maybe you're thinking, I know what some of you are probably thinking. It's like, how do you know? You don't even have one kid. You're giving this parent advice. I know. You're right. I don't. I don't have any kids. And you know what? If I did, maybe I'd be running around making the same mistakes that I'm describing. But I hope I wouldn't. I don't have kids, but these teachers do. And I was a kid. A million years ago, but I was a kid. And you know what my mom and dad didn't do? They didn't stop the world for me. I mean, they cared about me, but when I screwed up, I paid the price. They didn't come to the rescue all the time. Sometimes, yeah, hey, sometimes we need to be rescued. Sometimes we need mom and dad more than anybody else, but not always. Sometimes it needs to be, hey, you made the mess, you figure it out. And we grow from that. That hurts. It's embarrassing. But if I learn how to clean up the mess, that's a good thing. That's what Justice Roberts was talking about in that address. Listen to this. I've worked with quite a number of parents who are so overprotective of their children that they don't learn to take responsibility. They're helpless. These are the parents who worry me the most. Parents who won't let their kids learn. Teachers don't just teach reading, writing, and arithmetic. We teach responsibility, organization, manners, respect, restraint. These skills may not get assessed on an SAT, but as kids plot their journey into adulthood, they are by far the most important life skills we teach. I'm not suggesting that parents place blind trust in their kids' teachers. I'd never do such a thing myself. But kids make mistakes, and when they do, it's vital that parents remember that the benefits of consequence are a gift, not a dereliction of duty. Year after year, my best students, the ones who are happiest and most successful, they're the ones who are allowed to fail. 
and they were held responsible for their missteps, and they were challenged to be the best people they could be in the face of their mistakes. You hear these stories now just over and over again about kids just not being ready. They're just not ready for life. Remember, remember the movie Apollo 13? It's a great movie with uh, Tom Hanks. This NASA trip to the moon, 1970. It had to be aborted because of an explosion on the spacecraft. Because of that, the crew is losing oxygen and the clock is ticking. So the mission has gone from getting these guys to the moon to now getting them home safe. There's two famous, particularly famous lines from the movie. One is from Tom Hanks. He's one of the, he's like the, the captain on this uh, spaceship. And after the explosion, he calls NASA, which is in Houston, and he goes, Houston, we have a problem. It's the explosion. But there's another line that's even, I think, more famous. Ed Harris plays the guy in charge on the ground. He's the NASA director. And he gathers his people together, and he says to them, we've got to find a way of getting these guys home, and we need to do it now. And he famously says, failure is not an option. Well, that's a great line, and I get it. There are times in life, there are absolutely times in life when failure cannot be an option. But it really is, isn't it? It's not only an, it's not only an option, it's, it's just an, it's a reality. An endlessly, foolishly running interference for the people we love who have failed, it's not helping. It's not helping anybody. There is so much out there. I kind of was thinking about this whole idea the other day, and I started Googling stuff, and I, I remembered that book, and I, I looked that up. The articles like go on forever. There is so much written about this from teachers and psychologists. It's because it's epidemic. It's because it's out of control. Every teacher you meet, like, I think I would say every, 100% of the teachers you meet who have taught for more than a couple of years would be like, absolutely. There's no question. This has happened. And it's not good. And when are we going to wake up and confront it? Listen to this. So quick little article from a, one of these professionals. Why parents should let their kids fail. Let them fail now so they'll be successful later. Many of us modern parents do everything in our power to make, our ch to make sure our children are included and that they win. Many of us have tried to protect our children from sadness, frustration, disappointment, heartbreak. Understandable. But then something happens when our kids turn 18 and they officially become adults. We expect them to be able to go to college and adjust to a greater number of responsibilities, like managing their time, advocating for themselves, making appointments with their professors, 
making friends, changing their sheets, washing their laundry, and we expect them to know how to cope with this big adjustment emotionally overnight. Our kids go from being children to being adults, and many don't know how to do this. And it can create panic and isolation, severe homesickness, depression, and sometimes worse. What can we do then to help our kids to build necessary skills while developing a sense of independence before they leave our homes? How can we help our kids to build a sense of resilience? Well, we can start, I think, by letting them fail. We can introduce them or reintroduce them to the concept of the cross, to this idea of Good Friday, this idea that life isn't always great. We don't always live in Easter Sunday. Sometimes Good Friday lasts, and sometimes it's way more than 24 hours, and that's life. We survive it. We get to Easter Sunday, but you got to spend time in Good Friday. And if parents keep just robbing their kids of Good Friday, we're not serving them. You know, the name of that book was The Gift of Failure. How about this? How about The Gift of Humiliation? That sounds kind of crazy, doesn't it? I mean, what's good about being humiliated? That's like, you know, it's one thing to be embarrassed. To be humiliated is terrible. You kind of don't wish that on anybody. Maybe we should. If humiliation leads us to humility, then it kind of is a gift. When you get humbled, you get humble. Being humble is good. Humility is a good thing. This is what Steve Jobs said. I didn't see it then, but getting fired from Apple was the best thing that could have ever happened to me. The heaviness of being successful was replaced by the lightness of being a beginner. Again, and a lot less sure about everything. Or less sure about everything. And it freed me to enter one of the most creative periods of my life. It's Justice Roberts' point. It's that commencement address. And I think it's why it made the news. Because deep down, we all know he's right. And deep down, maybe not even so deep down, we all know that, man, so many of us are not buying, we're not living it. We know it's true, but we're covering for our kids all the time. We're shielding them from too much, and we're making them weak. Betrayal and loneliness and injustice and failure. He says, the justice, they shape us. They refine us. Whether you benefit from them or not, he says, will depend on your ability to see the message in the misfortune. The message in the misfortune. Roberts is right. So was Steve Jobs. So was my teacher friend and every other teacher on the planet. You know who was also right? Jesus. We hear it in the gospel tonight. We hear it from him all the time. The one who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. He spoke that way constantly. 
jump, rewind 150 years before Jesus. The first greeting, Sirach, Old Testament. Humble yourself the more, and you'll find favor from God. It's all about being humbled. And I'm not saying we should go around trying to get people we love to fail, but when they do, face it. And allow them to transcend it and become better as a result of it. I think we got this. Everybody knows this is true. How many more examples over centuries do we need to be reminded of this? So let them fail. They fail today. They win tomorrow. <laughs>